Welcome to the Machine LRN Radio. AI is the mother of all disruptive technologies. Just as the internet shrank the globe and created the greatest library of human knowledge that has ever existed, the AI revolution just getting underway will change everything we thought we knew about everything. Understanding AI is an essential executive skill if you are to leverage it for business or pleasure. But AI is a confluence of many disciplines, some ancient, some cutting edge. All these fields have built up their own lexicon of technical terms, recognizable by insiders, but unintuitive to the rest of us. In this podcast series, we are laser focused on practical integrative solutions to AI powered enterprises, missions, and new applications leading to an AI powered society. With our host, Lloyd Clark, we will demystify machine learning deep learning, and artificial intelligence through real-world examples and interviews each week. First, there was become a deep learning coder from scratch and under a year. Later, how to learn deep learning in six months. Well, today's guest, Dominic Puzio, has authored a post, Become a Machine Learning Expert in Under an Hour. How is that possible? Let's listen. My name is Dominic Puzio. I'm a machine learning engineer in the cybersecurity space. Welcome, Dominic. So I came across your profile on LinkedIn you're a machine learning, deep learning uh, guy, and you're doing a talk at South by Southwest uh, coming up. And I think the post uh, we were reading was how to get up to speed on machine learning and deep learning in a short amount of time. You want to talk about how long, uh, say I'm a newbie with a software background, how long that might take and what resources you might recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm someone who came from a software background myself and kind of went through this process of, of uh, teaching myself machine learning. Mm-hmm. So the talk is based around kind of my experiences. It's got a little bit of a cheeky title. It's become a machine learning expert in under an hour. Love it. Uh, it's, yep. you know, might not be an expert by the end of the hour, but, but I think its goal is to be kind of a crash course to give you a level on what machine learning is and, and really how it works at the core. Got it. Got it. I've seen uh, before your post, a popular one was become a machine learning expert in six months. Uh, so I, <laughs> I like yours even better. And um, it really lands well with a lot of the audience. Like, hey, Lloyd, we saw, you know, there's a startup. Could you send me a cheat sheet or give me the Cliffs notes? So I guess when you started your machine learning journey, where did that come from? Was that a, a work project or was that a a class you were taking that kind of spurred it? Yeah, it it began at work. uh, You know, I think where machine learning stands to gain a lot of ground is in tasks that are heavily Mm -hmm. rule-based. You know, we take these problems and we try to write a lot of rules to solve them when really something like machine learning can come in and learn those rules for us and and Mm -hmm. save us a lot of time. Uh, You know, one of the classic machine learning examples is image recognition. You know, yeah. how do you recognize your face from mine? Yeah, yeah. If you tried to write a list of rules to do that, you'd be here for a very long time. 
it's it's a hard problem to solve, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe you start with eye color. Well, what's an eye? How do you describe that in a list of rules? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it's these pixels and this shape. It, it gets very hard to do. Yeah. And so in the cybersecurity space, there are a lot of problems where we're initially trying to solve by writing a long list of rules, mm -hmm. and now we're solving with something that's much more intelligent, that's actually learning from the data and being able to make decisions in a more predictive way. Gotcha. And I guess uh, in the past, uh, even the learning from the data, uh, we had lots of pockets of network data, network traffic, and uh, different types of data, uh, be it PCAP or network flows. Is there any uh, go-to data sets? If, if you were dropped off on an island with a bunch of cybersecurity problems, what, what would be your top few or, or your first moves, uh, so to speak? I think it depends on what you're looking to detect. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of what I think is very interesting is looking at things like firewall traffic or proxy traffic. So mm -hmm. looking at uh, you know the web requests that are being made from mm -hmm. different machines. And from that, you can infer quite a bit about the, the user's activity mm -hmm. and perhaps if that activity is not in line with what you would expect it to be. Gotcha. So that's kind of my, my starting point, I think. Okay. So... Uh, at the firewall, a lot of nor north-south traffic. Do you um, would you have the same approach for that east-west lateral mover inside the data center? Is that a similar? I think so. Yeah. Yes, I think that again, it depends on the kind of problem that you're looking to detect. Yeah. But looking at something like your proxy can can pick up on that. Can look both kind of north-south uh, and east-west to see that kind of behavior. Gotcha. So I have uh, recently took a meeting uh, today um, with a nice lady, uh, Java background, and very much uh, interested in getting up to speed. Until, let's say today, my off-the-cuff advice was, oh, Andrew Ning stuff is great. You know, check out this book by Ian Goodfellow. What is your just off-the-cuff, hey, look, I'm a quasi-techie. Um, what what do I do today to get started to learn my machine learning in, in an hour? Yeah, there's fortunately a lot of resources out there, which is a great thing. Uh, sometimes that can be a little bit unfortunate in that it's yeah. hard to know where to start. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a big believer in learning by doing. So I think that a lot of these courses uh, are really amazing. They get you some of the background. Mm -hmm. I also think it's really important to dive in and start doing tutorials, uh, you know, come from a Python background or you're familiar mm -hmm. with Python, Scikit-Learn, yeah. TensorFlow, yeah. Keras, they all have great tutorials that you can use. And uh, you know, I think one of the challenges in you know, doing a machine learning hello world mm -hmm. is coming up with a nice data set. The data. A yeah. lot of these come with a kind of toy data set that you can use mm -hmm. uh, to start building something and start seeing some behavior. I think that's where my learning really took off. Okay. when I certainly was reading those same books and resources, but also doing it on my own laptop, I think was a big turning point. Gotcha. And your own laptop, um, do you have uh, is anything special there? You run into GPUs in it or what's yeah, going on with your environment, uh, also operating system? Right, yeah, I'm just running it on, on my home MacBook, you know, the same, same machine I use for all my day to day. So, you know, of course, if you wanna do something 
totally crazy out there. Maybe mm -hmm. you would need a GPU, but especially in your first uh, first steps of learning this, you really don't need something super powerful even to do a deep learning project. Okay, good good to know. Um, yeah, that was uh, that's a, a common one. Uh, hey Lloyd, should I go out and buy a gamer laptop if I need to learn this stuff? And uh, that's nice to know. You know, we've got a practical example of somebody who's uh, I would say characterizes doing machine learning, deep learning in the enterprise um, with, you know, serious business day-to-day -day problems and uh, you were able to get started with um, minimal investment and kicking around some tutorials. Absolutely. Yeah, these, even these very complicated deep learning networks mm -hmm. are really built from, from some foundational steps and I think that's also a key piece is that Deep learning is kind of the shiny object right now. Yeah. That, you know, deep learning is self-driving cars, it's predictive text, it's facial recognition. But a lot of deep learning is built from some much simpler tools. Sure. And so I think while it might be tempting to be like, I want to go out there and you know, start doing facial recognition, to start with those building blocks mm -hmm. uh, of deep learning, to look at what you know your more traditional instead of deep, you know, shallow neural network looks like and how that works before then kind of graduating on to something that's a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. I think that it kind of demystifies machine learning and deep learning in particular mm -hmm. to understand those building blocks. So I'm kicking around my first project. I found a tutorial. I swiped a data set. In your mind, should I be centered around a framework like TensorFlow or not married to it or you know, how, what was your what was your approach, or what is your advice now? Yeah, I think that the framework is not too important, especially at that early stage of mm -hmm. of learning yourself. Uh, maybe as you tackle a specific problem, you might say, "Oh, yeah, this framework is a little bit better suited." But mm -hmm. for me, I think that uh, a lot of how you interact with these frameworks might be via higher level APIs. So, Got it. for TensorFlow, for example, you can write something for native TensorFlow, or use something like Keras, which kind of wraps that up and makes it a little bit easier, especially mm -hmm. for someone who's newer to that space. And in that case, switching from TensorFlow to a different kind of backend mm -hmm. is really just a, a single line of code change or a configuration change. It doesn't really affect you in terms of how your system functions. Got it, got it. And for the scenario um, of the newbie, would you recommend, I think I saw in your bio, you've got a background in mathematics. Would you recommend uh, some calc or some, some math primers to get somebody that might be rusty? They've been working in tech for the last 10 years, staring at uh, security logs, scrolling by their screen. Um, what, what type of math would you recommend, if any? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a self confessed math nerd. I really love getting into that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, most people, if I start talking about linear algebra too much, their eyes glaze over or they're really not super interested. Mm -hmm. For me, it's awesome to know that linear algebra is at the foundation of a lot of deep learning and neural networks, a lot of calculus, mm -hmm. probability, all of this is, is really key. But for someone who's just getting started, I don't think that that's 100% necessary for you to start building something uh, and trying it out. I think that a lot of that underlying math can be understood via 
analogy via uh, visualization. Mm -hmm. I think that, again, I'm a big fan of this idea of demystifying it, that yeah. you know, we, it, it looks really cool, but how does it work under the hood? Right. And I think a lot of it can be compared via analogy to how we as humans learn. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we can grasp at a fundamental level uh, without needing calculus or linear algebra uh, to do so. You know, that idea of kind of small incremental improvements over time mm -hmm. as we acquire new information, that's something that we're all really familiar with, like how we do facial recognition. Sure. I'm not that great putting names with faces. Usually when I first meet someone, mm -hmm. I try really hard to remember that name, but I might need to see their face one or two more times to actually be able to remember. Right. And kind of that incremental process of like, oh man, I, I know we met a week ago. I think his name starts with an L, but I'm not totally sure. Right, right. You, know, you might get close, but but not quite there. Uh, and over time, after you know seeing someone's face a few times, you probably have a firm firm grasp on it after three or four times. Hopefully, even mm -hmm. if you're bad with names. And a neural network, a machine learning algorithm, is doing very much the same thing. Okay. Uh, it starts out completely blank slate, and maybe send it a picture of you with a label on it. This is Lloyd. Mm -hmm. And the first time it sees it, it probably isn't going to make too dramatic of a change in its understanding of the world. Uh, one of the key differences between how we as humans learn and how machines are learning is that your brain's a lot more powerful than even the best GPU or cluster of GPUs. You only need a few times to learn someone's face. With a machine learning algorithm, you need to show hundreds, thousands, millions of images before it can acquire the level of expertise that you have after maybe just a few trial runs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a great analogy. Um, often, if, you know, if I'm not talking to the tech type people that want to come up to speed, um, the other one is, uh, hey, what's the big picture? You know, are we, um, and there's the analogy where, but like training a dog, you know, getting it, getting it up to speed. Uh, sometimes leading into some deeper questions like where is everything headed? Um, so uh, I think, you know, being in tech, we've heard the analogy software is going to eat the world. And then um, the follow-on is now AI is going to eat software. So uh, is, is this a threat to the, the coder types? Are they going to be explicitly coding computers in the future? Or is, is the future these people that are just training, um, training a system on data, you know, do you have, do you have any thoughts on, you know, where, where are we going to be in 10 years if we meet back here in this room? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think I, I like to look back at history when machine learning was a brand new concept in the late sixties, early seventies. Mm -hmm. And we had people who were saying the same thing, like give it 10 years and mm -hmm. machine learning is going to take everything over. You know, mm -hmm. a computer will be smarter than any human being on the planet. I think it's helpful to have that kind of perspective when we look today. I think right. certainly we're in the golden age of machine learning, but I also take a lot of ML claims with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I think we're making progress and making progress at a faster rate than ever, but I still certainly see the need for human developers and human analysts to take a look at those insights from a machine learning algorithm. Okay. Um, yeah, taking that, you know, 
the claims at a grain of salt. Are there any claims or is there any marketing that's just disturbing to you? Like that's that's so much hype, it's ridiculous. Uh, maybe not anything specific, but I just think that, you know, one of the big... Skynet. Yeah, the yeah. Skynet. <laughs> uh, Westworld, really like that show, but I don't think we're close to having our own Westworld quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think we can sometimes get confused between the concepts of general intelligence and mm-hmm. specific intelligence. You know, our machine learning algorithms are trained to do one thing and do it really, really well. Yeah. It's very specific intelligence. You know, self-driving car mm-hmm. drives a car, but you never ask a self-driving car for advice on what a house price should be right. or to predict a response to an email. Right. We have other models that do those things really, really well, but again, they're in isolation. What we have as humans is this general intelligence that mm-hmm. we can go from recording a podcast to driving a car to solving a math problem to playing video games, cooking dinner. Mm-hmm. All of these require totally different skill sets, sure. and we can switch between them with ease. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we're not at that stage with machine learning. We're getting really good at specific intelligence, but we're a ways off from general intelligence still. Got it. That goes well to just, you know, some of the larger customers I've talked to, um, and you're also with a large enterprise. The idea, you know, like at the C level is, oh, we're just going to do AI and pilot it. When the rubber starts meeting the road, uh, at least to me it seems, and the way I'm talking to the customers is, um, it's not just one AI pilot to say your company is AI, it's you know, you're, you're going around organization to organization doing these specific, not self-driving cars, but, you know, you're, you're in the finance department and you're looking for transaction anomalies. And that's uh, one problem set you, you go deep on. And then another is uh, maybe cyber. Another is, you know, marketing. Is that kind of track with what, what you've seen and what, what you guys are about? Absolutely. I definitely think that it's more of this holistic approach mm-hmm. and looking at individual problems, problem by problem. Yeah. You know, not I want to bring AI to my company, but I want to bring AI to you know this specific part right. of my company, and then this part, and then this part. Right. That I can define. I can define that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I okay. think you know another part too is that you know we need a, a whole suite of engineers around the people doing ML mm-hmm. to empower that and make that possible. You know, the, the data that fuels that machine learning algorithm mm-hmm. needs to come from really awesome data engineers who sure. are helping to acquire that information and, you know, instrument things. You know, if you're not collecting your logs on your proxy, if you're not collecting, you know, how far you're pushing down the pedal in a car, mm-hmm. well, it's really hard to learn from that. You know, you need to first build out the infrastructure to collect that data mm-hmm. and store it before you can learn on it. Sure. That's a, so I have a, a, just a small Facebook group and I'm on a bunch of um, AI deep learning groups. When I ask questions of the group, like, hey, what's your biggest blocker, right? You know, there's the, the normal ones, the talent and where are we going to train these people and uh, that. But the one that always bubbles to the top is infrastructure. Like we don't have the infrastructure to do it. And um, that seems a, a, a big hurdle, especially as the, the enterprise gets larger or as it gets global, you know, what 
what do they do to tackle the infrastructure? Is there any recommendations you have if, say, I'm a very large global enterprise and um, I have a legacy infrastructure? Um, is there anything I can do to maybe show value of machine learning and, and things like that rather than, you know, today's model where maybe I'm the, the owner of the company and I go to my, my tech division and they say, oh, the infrastructure is old or we don't have labeled data. Is there anything you recommend uh, to get a little program going to show value? Yeah, I think it begins with just kind of instrumenting anything that you can. Mm -hmm. you know, start collecting data and metrics on anything you can. I think some of the most successful companies that use machine learning uh, on their website, they're tracking your mouse movements and your yeah. clicks, you know, yeah. down to that, that level of detail. They're, uh, you know, if you're trying to build a self-driving car, you need to instrument every little turn of the wheel and press of a pedal, things like that. Uh, so I think it just begins with figuring out how you're going to start doing that instrumentation and collecting that data. Mm -hmm. So even if you're on a, a kind of legacy system, I think that's still possible to say, all right, here's an area where we can, you know, I see a user behavior, I'm mm -hmm. gonna start logging that and tracking that, and that can grow into your data set uh, that you eventually use. Gotcha, okay. So let's see, we've talked a little bit about the primer to get started. Um, we talked about, you know, math or no math and where, where does this fit? Do you, uh, I guess in your mind, is there any end game or is there any credential that, that you see valuable? Um, like people should start, you know, thinking, you know, a certain degree program or a certain certification or does, is it still the wild west and everybody is playing in their, their sandbox? For me, I think the, the golden certification is a problem that you've solved. You know, it's really demonstrating, hey, here's a use case that we tackled with machine learning mm -hmm. and kind of showing it end to end, right? I yeah. think, well, it's great to use your laptop and you know, build a model, do some machine learning. It's a little bit of a science project until it's out there and being used to make decisions. Got it. So I think that the credential is not just, hey, I, I built a really cool model, right. but also I took this model and put this out into the real world, right. know, into a live setting where uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's where things really get tested. Okay. Love that approach. You know, let's see in a hands-on way what you've, you know, what you've put out there. The ways to go about that, do you think, is, is that a, um, in your mind, so you're a newbie, you're trying to show the world what you've done, is this a GitHub link? Is this a slide deck? Is this a YouTube? Is this all of the above? What do you recommend? Yeah, I think GitHub is, is definitely the best place to start. I also think it's it's really cool. A lot of you know, maybe the idea of building a chatbot or building something that we can interact with as well and mm -hmm. exposing that as an API or you know as a website that kind of wraps that API to say, hey, I, I built this thing that can you know, recognize hot dog versus not hot dog, or I built this chatbot that, you know, really knows college basketball, you know, come ask it a college basketball question, and yeah. opening that up, and the great thing is that, A, people get to see your work, and mm -hmm. B, you get even more data from that, right? Sure. You now I've kind of open-sourced this idea of, you know, 
getting people to interact with your tool and then getting more information. Got it. Uh, which you can then use to make that model smarter and improve it. Okay. I think that's a great takeaway. Uh, I'll probably start using that as, hey, the, I love Coursera, but uh, that's nice. Great credential to have, but, you know, probably not the same as sending somebody a URL or, or you know, having having a working chatbot that uh, is answering messages in Slack or whatever the, the format. Okay. Right. Yeah, it doesn't have to be anything miraculous. Again, mm -hmm. you know, if you solve a really specific problem, mm -hmm. I, I think you're doing something really incredible and awesome. Yep. You know, your chatbot doesn't have to be able to have every conversation with every person. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, your voice assistant on your phone, you know, can only do so few things. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe set an alarm or, you know, remind me tomorrow morning to pick up my dry cleaning, that kind of thing. But if you ask a question about college basketball, probably not going to get a good answer. Sure. So you don't have to go out there and solve the biggest problem in the world. You could build a chatbot that, you know, knows one particular domain really well. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool, a cool project and a cool application. Okay. So let's say uh, we followed all of this and I'm the newbie and uh, I've got my really cool chatbot out that does a specific thing. Do you recommend in terms of getting your name out or uh, just conferences or things like that uh, to show up to with like-minded people. Any recommendations? I know uh, you're doing the South by Southwest, and uh, I thought I saw a link to a ShmooCon or something that you might have presented. Yeah, ShmooCon is a uh, cybersecurity conference okay. in DC, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you that conferences are a great way mm -hmm. to get out there and just kind of sort of showing off your projects mm -hmm. and usually a chance to get questions that perhaps you didn't think of yourself. So, hey, well, how does it respond in this situation? Mm -hmm. oh, I, I never thought about that. I, I should test that or maybe retrain my model with that consideration. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, you know, maybe not a specific conference, but just the idea of kind of democratizing uh, your work and sharing your work out, yeah. uh, I think is, is really key. And I think that's behind these big advances that we see in ML today, like that idea of, hey, I've got something, instead of keeping it under lock and key, right. and you know, maybe trying to uh, profit off of it, I'm gonna share it out there, share my code on GitHub, yeah. uh, share my idea via conference talk or a publication, something like that, right. uh, is, is really exciting. And I think that's why we're kind of in this golden age right now, mm -hmm. is because we have a philosophy of open sourcing and, and sharing a lot of these ideas and a lot of these tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely on board with the sharing and the, the GitHub. And um, it's funny, that's a more, I guess, modern philosophy than, you know, the old school suit and tie um, types. Uh, I, I had the question, it's probably a month ago now, I'm meeting with a large, very large contractor. Um, and it was just, Lloyd, you know, see you have a startup, what is your IP? And um, I'm trying to explain these concepts to a room full of people that, you know, they want to see intellectual property locked up and they want to see patents and they want to see all, all these trademarks. And I'm trying to explain the idea of like, hey, look, it's 2018 now. The competitive advantage is not, hey, I've locked up this framework, which, by the way, companies like Google have open sourced and 
you know, I could spend 30 years working at it and not be to a Google TensorFlow, you know, kind of quality. Um, and also that while it's an open source framework, it's also that data set that you've, you've trained. And I think, you know, like you're saying, getting it out there, opening it up, getting some more data. Um, in my mind, if people, you know, the old business types could start thinking about that trained, that model, that trained model, that data, uh, that normalized labeled data being the new intellectual property, being the new patent, if they could maybe not make the switch overnight, but come around to that style of thinking, that might make for some better, you know, some better adoptions of AI, some better co companies coming in with a startup mindset of getting them going quickly. Absolutely. Uh, so. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that, you know, the, the amazing thing is right now, whether you're an engineer on the industry or mm -hmm. you're a high school student mm -hmm. or you're, you know, a elementary school science teacher, you can use the same tools that Google, Lyft, Spotify, Facebook, all these companies have shared their tools and their frameworks with us. Mm -hmm. uh, what they're not sharing is the data set. Right. You know, Facebook is really good at facial recognition because they've got a lot of pictures. They've yeah. got a lot of labeled faces. They're probably not going to be giving that information out anytime soon, mm -hmm. but that framework can be used to solve different problems. And if you have a unique data set or a unique idea, you can use that same framework to mm -hmm. make a Okay. A lot of the things I'm doing uh, is, is getting at that and I'm, I'm feeling the pain as a small startup. So um, it's, you know, the clear path is to start with an open framework and start iterating on that data set and, um, you know, going, going after that problem rather than maybe five years back where it was a PhD shop trying to design their, their own framework from scratch. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, and I think Let's this see. again kind of emphasizes the the need that we're still going to have for human mm -hmm. engineers and human input to yeah. these algorithms that, you know, a lot of the algorithms are out there mm -hmm. in public, but until we have humans who are curating these data sets and kind of combining them with a framework, you don't really get any result. Gotcha. So just role playing a little bit, um, Sam, the big company and you and I are a startup. Um, and we came in and we convinced at the very top level, you know, we're not peddling proprietary lockdown frameworks or custom homebrewed things that um, are there just to spin the consulting wheels. Uh, but we're coming in with frameworks that are built by Google. Um, we're coming in with a lot of data and demonstration that we've just we've put out there. It's usable today. We've got some great data sets. Is there any, so we've talked about getting started, that newbie, you know, just using their laptop, but once this enterprise is bought off on your philosophy, hey, this is open frameworks, hey, this is going to be data and models that you've trained and opened up, is there any recommendations slash best practices slash lessons learned from you on what do we do in an enterprise setting for hardware? Where does this thing sit? Does it sit inside our data center? Does it sit inside the data center if it's cybersecurity related? Does it not? Should this be Amazon's cloud, Google's cloud? What do you, what do you recommend for that initial kickstart project? 
Yeah, I think that the cloud offers us that opportunity to spin something up so much faster than if mm -hmm. we're trying to build something or put something in an existing data center. Mm -hmm. I think, again, that's another reason for the machine learning revolution that we're seeing right now is the ability to get some on-demand computing resources. Mm -hmm. And so I absolutely think that using the cloud is a way to take a model that you have and start putting that live in a production setting very quickly. Mm -hmm. I think, of course, you still need to be very thoughtful about your security practices and making sure that you know, this is your golden model that does the really cool thing that only your company does. Mm -hmm. So to make sure that uh, it's locked down in the appropriate ways. but. I think that's something that's pretty straightforward to do. Mm -hmm. So I'd absolutely recommend using something that allows you to provision these hardware resources very quickly and to scale them as well. Gotcha. So that's external cloud. Uh, um, we know about the biggies. Are there any other ones, any Floyd Hub-like ones that you recommend? Uh, not off the top of no. my head, no. Okay. I, I'm primarily a user of, of the bigger cloud providers. Bigger cloud providers, okay. I had a project, and this is probably going to be an ongoing thing, and um, they threw the no external cloud at me requirement day, day one. Like, no, it's not going to happen. This is, this is some data we have to keep behind our firewall. And um, it was kind of interesting. I started looking into um, what enterprise box could I throw a bunch of NVIDIA cards in. And um, I got into the into that NVIDIA 1080 the way it's licensed because I was thinking of sticking it in something called a data center. I better buy their data center card at, at a premium. Do you see that kind of 1080 or something else or Tesla card as, uh, as the future? Or do you see the, hey, do whatever you can in the public cloud and uh, GP, you know, it's going to be TPUs or some other ASIC or some hardware in the, in the coming years, months. What, what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, I think it's important to be thoughtful too of the you know, work that your model is going to be doing as you're training it. Mm -hmm. And then as you're using it to make predictions, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I usually start off with a project on my machine, as I throw more data at it, eventually my laptop crashes, it's out of memory. Yeah. That's when I know it's time to move on to a GPU instance, try something a little bit bigger. Gotcha. But when it comes to finally serving that model, you know, my model's trained, it's at the performance that I'd like to see it, mm -hmm. and now I want it to make predictions, I don't need a giant machine to do that. I really just have that model encapsulated in a very small service mm -hmm. and running on a really small instance. So I think that GPUs are really helpful for speeding up that training time, mm -hmm. but they're not wholly necessary for when you're deploying something into the production world. Okay. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of the uh, technologies that you mentioned, that hardware mm -hmm. is really critical and nice for speeding things up, mm -hmm. but isn't fully needed uh, depending on your kind of speed requirements right. when you're deploying. You know, if you need this model to score a thousand records per second or mm -hmm. 10,000 records per second, uh, maybe you run that on a big GPU or maybe you divide that work among 10 small mm -hmm. kind of average quality servers. Okay. Yeah, I like, I like where you're going with that. 
and maybe to the paranoid customers, like, hey, look, um, the data that you can train externally on really fast things, do it there, and then port that model over behind your firewall and do it on less resources at a, at a better price. Exactly, if that's possible. If that's possible. Okay, on the topic of paranoid customers, <laughs> so if um, do you see an interest based on just your experience on putting some security around these trained models, um, you know, hashing a model to say, uh, hey, look, you've trained this model and it was good at such and such a time, or do you see any um, areas for improvement? Uh, do you see any trends coming down the pike? Or um, is this thing so new? Is this, you know, being day one, do you see uh, still the Wild West for security and deep learning and machine learning? Yeah, I think that uh, there, there are kind of two ways that you can think about securing your model. I mean, the first is someone kind of figuring out how it works, you know. Mm -hmm. Your model is your secret sauce of how you're making money. You really want to make sure that someone can't figure out exactly how it's working mm -hmm. or else you're out of business. Uh, I think in the cybersecurity space, if an attacker knows exactly how your model works to say, hey, this looks like some suspicious activity, mm -hmm. well, they can work around that then. Sure. So it's important to make sure that your model's decisions aren't easily able to be deduced. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the pros slash cons of deep learning is that these models are very difficult to interpret. Mm -hmm. So that can be difficult if you want to know, hey, why did this model think that you know, this was some suspicious user behavior over here? Mm -hmm. A deep learning model can't really explain that why very easily, at least today. Mm -hmm. That also helps you in the sense of it's difficult for an attacker to kind of reverse engineer mm -hmm. uh, that behavior, or maybe not an attacker, but a competitor who's trying to learn how you make your decisions. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other form of securing against uh, or securing your model is defending against data drift. Mm -hmm. So it may not be that someone's trying to mimic your exact model, but just that the data is changing. Uh, you see this in just about every space. Uh, there are very few things where one model is always going to make sense for every time period. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, cybersecurity constantly evolving uh, space, but even if you think about something like natural language, new words, new ways of phrasing things are constantly uh, popping up. We may need to have a framework as well to continuously evaluate those models, you know, mm -hmm. not just, hey, this is working a year ago, so I'm sure it's working today just fine. Right. But having a framework to secure against kind of this data drift mm -hmm. uh, or even uh, some kind of adversarial data where they're intentionally changing to get around your model. Okay. You know, the English language isn't trying to change to fool chatbots, but in some more adversarial spaces like uh, detecting fraud or money laundering or cybersecurity breaches, well, there you're in an adversarial domain. Mm -hmm. And so part of securing your model is making sure it's still performing against new data. Okay. Is that like a GAN? Uh, you could look at something like a, a generative adversarial network, mm -hmm. but really it's more just uh, continuing to evaluate your model over time to not kind of think of it as a one and done. Got it. But to be looking at new data and just saying, 
hey, is this actually giving me the performance that it was giving me one year ago? Okay. In your mind, would the charter of that, the of constant evaluation, would that be a the data science team? Would that be the ML guys? Would that be a thing, like a, a new software or, or some kind of best practice? What, what do you... I definitely think it's it's a team effort that there should be folks whose job is to kind of you know, govern these models to make sure that they're mm-hmm. making the decisions that we expect them to be making. Okay. Uh, in some cases, that's really, really important. Like, you're deciding, you know, whether or not you can afford this house. Yeah. Well, you really want to make sure, you know, why your model's making that decision and, and that it's uh, doing the right, the right thing. Mm-hmm. Other cases, you know, if you're trying to, classify junk email. If one slips through, it's it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can have different standards uh, depending on those models. But I think governance is a big piece, mm-hmm. and that governance needs to be part of the role of a machine learning engineer. Okay. But I also think uh, that there are some things out there now and still in the works to help to automate this, yeah. to build in a suite of software that's doing this for you in mm-hmm. some senses and providing some reports hey, your model looks good, uh, just like it did a year ago. Got it. On the governance topic, let's say your your daily grind, your weekly grind, to you, does that play out? Is that like a scrum meeting, stand up in the morning? Is that a bi-weekly tag up? Uh, how, how does that work? Yeah, I think it, it has to really pervade the entire life cycle of building this model. I think it comes down to documenting those small decisions that you make early on, mm-hmm. you know, why I chose this type of model over this type of model, mm-hmm. or why I chose this data set over this data set, is really helpful for that time when a month down the road, they say, hey, let's let's take a look at what your model's doing, if it's still behaving like it was mm-hmm. uh, earlier, and you now say, oh, well, I haven't touched that in a month, but oh yeah, here's why I made these design decisions. And it makes it a lot easier to go back and and evaluate things. Gotcha. So I see that certainly as periodic check-ins, but Mm -hmm. I also see it being part of how you build and document that model and how you deploy it as well. Okay. Um, That's good to know. So there's no exotic software to manage this process. A a large company could use Confluence or whatever their, their wiki or whatever their existing software dev frameworks are yeah absolutely okay uh, yeah that documentation in those early days is really key got it let's see i think did did i hit all the points we've hit a lot of the points you know kind of the yeah cutting through a little bit of the hype of machine learning i Mm -hmm. think that you know really what i hope people walk away from my talk with is just the ability to speak a little bit of the language you know know Mm -hmm. when someone's kind of just using a buzzword to sound cool right uh, but also to understand how machine learning works, that it's not this kind of magic box where we throw a bunch of data mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to come and you know take over the world. Yeah, It's something that really is just the sum of several mathematical processes. It's the sum of a lot of human engineering effort to pull those data sources together. Mm-hmm. And really an, an extension of a lot of ideas that we've all held and used in traditional programming for a long time. Okay. And um, so once your talk is done, this is a really cool talk. Is uh, Do you have a website or a GitHub or uh, uh, where, where could people find your talk? Uh, 
I am on GitHub. I'm not sure how I'm going to publicize the talk and if the recording is going to be made public through South by. Okay. Um, my Twitter is mach at machine learn me. At machine learn me. Okay. And uh, so you can find me there. And if you'd like to stay tuned, uh, any updates I'll definitely share there. Okay. All right. Th thank you, Dominic. Thanks Good. so much for having me, Lawrence. You've been listening to Machine LRN Radio. If your organization needs expert AI consulting or system engineering from a client-centric, product-agnostic perspective, head over to MachineLRN.com now. Or if you're in the federal sector, government, or contractor, please visit federal.ai.